0: Our brother Mark Hartfield will be bringing us God's Word from Philippians chapter 1 verses 1, uh, 3 to 11, but I'll ask us to read from verses 1 to 11 and then I will call our brother. Let's stand there to Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. And I read, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all, making my prayer with joy, And the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes. Through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Karibu, brother. good.
1: Asante, Thank you, brother Dominic. I so appreciate the joy of this day. Um, And I think in ways that I didn't even anticipate with the commissioning of Michelle and, or Ebenezer and Michelle Kimathi to go first to, I've been calling it Maratha, then I've realized it's not Maratha, it's Muthara. And then to Isiolo. So rather than multiply words, I think, I hope that maybe the the thank you note that we wrote will be where you can see it somehow a picture go on your WhatsApp thread I think perhaps two words Asante sana expresses our heart we're so thankful for this month and I meant I I I put I tend to be the letter writer in our family and I put that note together and I know Cheryl put her name on it but she knows no doubt it expresses her feelings as well. It was a day of infamy, September 11th, 2001. There's always those things that you want to remember and those things that you'd rather forget. We called the 20 employees of Hatfield Builders to our office when we heard the news of the attack on the Twin Towers there in New York City, and our belief was that indeed our world had changed that day. It was not a remembrance with joy. When you come forward a few years to August 29th, 2017, our oldest daughter was giving birth to our first grandchild so that Cheryl, uh, I don't know how you say that. She's not, she's mama Kristen, but her first grandchild is Caroline. We knew something was wrong when we heard uh, the urgent calls over the loudspeaker there in the waiting area of the hospital. And we didn't know that had our daughter been almost anywhere else in the world away from first class medical care, she would have died. She began to bleed out in hemorrhage seven minutes after her birth. She ended up re- staying four or five days in the ICU, receiving 25 units of blood. It really was not a thankful remembrance of joy. But we find something different in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, this church that was birthed. As we find it by the historian and physician Luke in Acts 16, this church here that Paul, if I can set the context for us, says, he first says this typical with all these New Testament letters. He identifies the author in verse 1 himself it, that it's from, if you will, Paul and Timothy, but I think it's particularly expressive of Paul. But he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then he identifies his audience to all the saints. And I want you to notice that he does not say to my saints, but that he says to all the saints, and then this all-important phrasing Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, and then he gives a blessing. So you have an introduction that identifies both the author and the recipients of this letter that we understand later was carried by Epaphroditus, those many miles from where Paul is, not actually languishing in prison, but exhorting the Philippians amazingly, to rejoice in the Lord always, he says, and again I will rejoice. But then he gives us blessing, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the title of my sermon is Paul's Prayer of Gratitude. And what I want you to see in the big idea here is a love that prays and prayers that are designed. Love, a love that prays, and prayers that are designed for love. Before I give you the outline, what I'd like you to like us to notice here as a gathered people this morning is that this is very Christ centered in the focus. In fact, Paul says, Who am I? and who are Timothy? He wastes no time in telling us. He says, We are bondservants of Christ Jesus. It's interesting, unlike the spirit, the fighting spirit of Paul in the book of Galatians where he asserts his apostleship, here he says, I'm one who's called to be faithful. I'm one entrusted with the message of reconciliation. So he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. It's helped me to be in Kenya now and understand that mamas are called mama like mama, mama Kristen, mama Asaph, to learn that, that that word of identity. And Paul wastes no time. He says, this is who has penned this letter. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. But he's very clear as he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus that he doesn't say to my saints... But he says to the saints, whose defining description, and it's our defining description, have you thought about this, that if you are a saint, you are a son or daughter of God, you are a saint, just like the Philippians, in Christ Jesus. Of course, he doesn't forget, and he adds, like in a little appendix, that it's also to the overseers and deacons, as though to say, I haven't forgot about, forgotten about you and your labor. And then he gives them a blessing before he gives us this prayer. He, he composes this prayer for the Philippians. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he writes as bondservants, he, he writes representatively as bondservants of Christ Jesus. He writes to saints who are in Christ Jesus, and he says this, this is my blessing, I pronounce this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come then to the prayer itself. And I want us to see over about five different areas how Paul's care for the Philippians is seen here in these nine verses. And so here's the outline. I think you'll see it. First, we are going to see Paul's grateful remembrance for them. All right, we'll see that Paul's grateful remembrance for them in verse three. Secondly, we'll see his joyful prayer making on their behalf in verses four and five. Then we'll see in verses six and seven, his confident expectation in his gospel partners, in the Philippians as gospel partners. By the way, I thought as I was meditating a final time on this passage, I thought of Ebenezer and Michelle, that this this was just of of the Lord, that for all their days, going back to this commissioning moment of February 6, 2022, as they head to Muthara, that they will be able to save Trinity Baptist Church. You were here as gospel partners from the first day until now. And so there's a sense, I don't know, Ebenezer, I see you guys, you and Michelle back there. I would actually, in applying this passage for a moment, I'd like to make this personal for you all. I encourage you as a couple... To read this, to meditate on it, to discuss it, perhaps to memorize it, and then use it to shape your prayers of gratitude for your brothers and sisters here in Nairobi. And I think that will be helpful to keep your affections in times of difficulty and discouragement. It will help you soldier on for the sake of your shepherd king. Well, there's a third, the fourth thing after grateful remembrance, joyful prayer, confident expectation. There's a heavenly affection expressed in verse 8. And then finally, we'll see that Paul's care for the Philippians is seen in this purposeful prayer that would have made the reformers proud. It's truly sola deo gloria. It's sola. Deo gloria, In that its purpose is to achieve, to point to, to accomplish the glory and praise of God. So first, let's consider Paul's grateful remembrance for them in verse 3. I think it's very interesting that Paul does not say, I thanked God for you. He doesn't say, I will thank God for you. He writes this in the present tense so that when they're reading it, it's vivid, it's in the moment, it's real. It'd be like saying to someone that you've known for 30 years, and you get them on the phone, and you say, I thank God for you, I'm thanking God for you, present tense, right here. And the idea here, actually, is that the word remembrance could also be Translated mention. This is a verbal mention. As I'm praying, and your names and your thoughts, and my heart goes back to Lydia, that seller of purple fabrics by the river, who God, by his grace, opened her heart that she might believe. Maybe it was even the little slave girl who was a source of profit for her owners. And by a word, an authoritative word from the Apostle Paul, that spirit departed from her. were We're not told of her conversion, but perhaps after Lydia, there was the slave girl. And then even there were these brothers there in the prison. There was Paul and Silas that God used as they were singing songs. He used an earthquake and their fear to draw out of them this most fundamental question in Acts sixteen thirty, Sirs, what must I do to be saved from the jailer? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And there's a reason that one wrote of Paul and Silas in that prison on the night of the earthquake as they're singing hymns and the church is going through birth pains. God's creating the narrative that later he would write this prayer of thanksgiving because someone has said this. We think in terms of apostolic journey, but sometimes God dares to put his greatest servants in chains. Imagine this. Imagine the difference between a woman with a table or maybe a whole cache of purple fabrics and she's listening to the apostles. In an instant, God opens her heart to believe the good news she's heard. Or maybe this slave girl who is feeling nothing but chattel. She was the property of another, but God, through this authoritative word, saves her. And then the Philippian jailer. The very moment, in contrast to a woman whose heart's been opened by the work, the Spirit's active work. He's ready to take his own life. But in a moment, at just the right time, in his despair is intersected and pierced by this great news, this word of promise, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This, this is the church. These are the saints. These are the names. I imagine Paul could imagine their faces as he says, I thank my God in every mention of you. Because I mention your name. It's interesting, I think, if you've ever played piano or a musical instrument and you're learning to play in a particular rhythm like 80 beats per minute or 66 beats per minute or 92, that the word here is the root For this word, Menomic, M-N, that sounds almost like a Kiswahili word. Menomic or Menomic device, the idea of something that's keeping you on pace so that you will remember. It's mentioning beat after beat after beat after beat. And that's this idea. Paul's saying, I remember you. In rhythm, every time I mention your name, with gratitude. And I want to make this personal for a moment. I want to apply right now, and we'll move on to our second. In the course of a week, is there anyone that you remember with gratitude in prayer? Or are you just, do you ever find yourself too often bugged, irritated, disappointed by your brothers and sisters, maybe longing for more? Let's learn. You learn. Let's learn from Paul's expression here. And conversely, I want to ask you a question Are you such a gospel? partner, are you such a faithful disciple of the Lord Jesus that sometime during the course of the week there would be the occasion that because of your life someone else literally like rolling out of bed and it's so natural because gravity is in effect is saying, I thank God for you. Like I know now, there's a reason I put Philippians 1, 3 through 5, at the end of our thank you note. Because we imagine now we can remember you with gratitude as our brothers and sisters. We're so thankful for you. So who are you giving, who are you having grateful remembrance for? And who would you give cause, to whom would you give cause that they might be remembering, remembering you with gratitude as well. There's a second thing that we see from this expression here before we get to the body of Paul's prayer. And that is not only does he have this grateful remembrance of them, not a negative or painful remembrance like 911 or the traumatic birth of our first granddaughter, but that grateful remembrance of these brothers and sisters who were there. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but for a moment, I want you to see this with an eschatological vector. Watch this. So just as today is the first day, in a sense, for Ebenezer and Michelle, their first day, in a sense, could be February 6, 2022. Though it would be appropriate to date that back to when you were being shaped as brothers and sisters and eventually husband and wife as servants of Christ Jesus you are being prepared and shaped and formed for this day when you'd be commissioned but the eschatological vector of this passage is as Paul is saying on this day I'm remembering you with gratitude on this day I'm making joyful prayer for you and then watch what he does he says Because, and he goes to the past. Let me do it from your direction. He goes to the past. And he says, from that very first day, when you had opportunity. It's like you knew Galatians 6.10. Therefore, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. He's like, you got that. You never forgot the mission. That you fundamentally weren't saved for yourself. But God's filled you up. He's filled me up that he might pour us out as a drink offering. And in a moment, we'll see the other end. From the first day, as he gives thanks and makes his prayer in the present day, we're going to see the day of Christ Jesus in a moment. But the second Expression of Paul's care for the church at Philippi is his joyful prayer making on their behalf. I love this, making my prayer. I never understood the idea of making a coffee. Like that is not an expression or making a tea. That's not an American expression in terms of colloquial. But when we moved to China eight years ago and we had this teeny tiny itty bitty kitchen. And I had we had like two gas burners, and we'd always been accustomed with four in a big oven. And I would fill this every morning. I would fill this little pan with water. And I have a baby French press that would give maybe seven ounces of coffee. And I would do two level scoops from the Starbucks coffee I'd brought all the way from the States. I'd put that in there. I'd fire this up. That water, right, three minutes. I knew at three minutes that we, the water would be born just right. And after three minutes, I'd pour that into my itty-bitty French press. I'd take one single chopstick and stir it like this. Then I'd set my phone for four minutes so that the making of a single cup of coffee for this mzungu, who was like waking up and needed his adrenaline caffeine fix, I understood now that I was making a coffee. Paul says, he's making his prayer. I can imagine his eyes closed and he's on his knees. And he says, always, not sometimes, but always in each prayer for you all. He doesn't even single them out. Yeah, later, he talks of Timothy and Epaphroditus and Euodia and Syntyche wants to address a matter in their life. But he says, always when I pray, in every single prayer of mine for all of you, and I imagine just like we'll imagine as we put a little scrapbook together for our time here that will imagine your faces. But I have to admit, I do love it when you remove your mask because I'm struggling sometimes to put faces to names when I can only see half your nose and two eyes in the top of your head. But he says, he's making his prayer for them with joy. And I think it's helpful. John... Pastor John MacArthur calls the book of Philippians an an epistle of joy. Someone else has said this is like an inspired thank you letter. So what's happening here is he's kept Paul within the context of the letter is catching him up on how it's going with him in prison. He's sending this rolled up this manuscript in the hands of Epaphroditus. And he's thanking God for them. And it's amazing. He's in prison and he's saying to them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And joy just permeates like a single strand through this book. It's such an important theme. How surprising is that? So he's got this grateful remembrance. He's, he's grateful. And I want to share something from our experience in China that gratitude is not only a state of the heart, but it's something that may be and ought to be expressed with words. The Chinese character for thanks, or to give thanks, is xie And Chinese characters have parts of their character that are called radicals, and they tell you what that word, what realm that word is. So the Chinese character xie has on its left side a thing that we call a yangzipang, which means thanks is in the realm of speech. So properly, when you look at the Chinese character to give thanks, the implication is that thanks are not simply, gratitude is not simply a matter of the heart, but it's something that's appropriately expressed. And I want to challenge you, and I want to ask you a question. Do you thank God specifically, and do you express to your brothers and sisters your gratitude for them, as you remember them, as you observe their lives? Do you pray for them with joy? Or have you become ungrateful? has you have you if you were honest on the grateful quotient, Are you low, or do you exude this sense of gratitude that you deserve nothing, that I deserve nothing, that everything is a gift from our heavenly Father? Paul, he says, I'm always in each prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy for you all. And then he gives the reason there in verse five, and here's why. He, he gives it a point of attribution, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, the truth is, and let me be candid, you all are the model. You all are an inspiration to me. And when Pastor Morunga, you mentioned three couples in the last year, plus Ebenezer and Michelle today, If it's February 7th next year, and I could say that GBC, after Grace Baptist Church Sailors, after being inspired by what you all are doing to advance the gospel, to know that we have sent out several couples like you all, I would just be thrilled. My heart uh, would just be uh, bubbling over with gratitude. And I'd be footnoting, that the inspiration for that, the example is right here, even in Nairobi and Trinity Baptist Church. And he says, it was because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the idea was that Paul knew they had his back. Not only did they have his back, but they stood by his side. Not only did they stand by his side, but I think there was a sense in which he knew he'd go; they would go ahead of him. That they would anticipate his needs. And I so love the words of Pastor Morungi about that you understand your role. Your role, the role of this church, and it's a joyful role, is to send and then hold the rope as Ebenezer and Michelle go because we know the day's they will need prayer. They will need financial support. They will need visits. They will, it will be a great joy for them to be remembered on the days of their birthday and even celebrating their anniversaries. To be able to receive timely texts that says, I love you and you know it because we're remembering you this day in prayer with joy even as we send this text. And I would encourage you on your end, open together that Reformation Study Bible and to remember this day, February 6, 2022. Let it be a ballast, Ebenezer and Michelle, for your soul. When times when you're wondering, can we do this? We're feeling our inadequacy. And you say with the Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things? You remember that over many years and hours of conversation and prayer and labor and fellowship and encouragement, this church was willing to send you. Don't forget it. It's like remembering the day of your baptism. Don't forget this day. Of your commission. Well, there's a third thing we see. Not only is Paul's care for the church at Philippi seen in his grateful remembrance of them, the way he would express verbally in his prayers, but also the way he would construct and create his prayers joyfully on their behalf. We see that he had this confident expectation in his gospel partners. I know there's probably nothing worse than having no confidence in the promise of another person, having no trust in them doing what they've said that they'll do. But I want you to see, interestingly, what where Paul's confidence on behalf of the Philippians is. He says, I'm sure of this, watch, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And there we are from from the first day until now to the present moment as you read, as I write and pen this letter and you you receive it and hear it read from Epaphroditus. He says, I'm confident. And the idea here in the tense of the verb is having been confident of this very It's a perfect, which means that something that's happened in the past has ongoing implications to the future. Notice the center of Paul's confidence. He loved them, no doubt. He, He remembered them with gratitude. He made his prayer for them with joy. But now, as he speaks of this confidence... It's actually of what God is going to complete. What God began, He'll get to the finish line. God is not, with our sanctification, He's not just a great starter, but He's a fantastic finisher. And imagine this. Imagine if within the four walls of Trinity Baptist Church on any given Lord's Day, some of you would go up, you would intentionally go from your square to someone else's square, and you would say to them, I thank God for you. I see God at work in you. I am able, I'm empowered to pray with joy for you. And you know what? I, I am so confident that God is going to complete the work that he first did began in you he'll complete it it's a certainty it's a confident expectation and he explains that he says it's right for me to feel this way about you because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I want to focus for a moment this expression, I hold you in my heart, and I want to ask you a question. Like, let's let's not play. Is there anyone in the body that you need to go to as a brother and sister and say, I haven't actively hated you, but I don't think it could be said that I've held you in my heart. You know what I'd do today? I'd just come up and say, I'd confess, and I'd say, brother to brother, sister to sister, older generation to younger, to say, I haven't been a good member of the body of Christ to you. I've lived with less, something less than a heavenly affection for you. I was just fine if you went that way, I'd go this way. I was just fine to not have to engage you into a conversation because the reality, if I'm honest, is I haven't held you in my heart. You won't believe how the fragrance of heaven would rain down on this body. If any of you have that, that you you won't believe, you go up and say, look, I'm so sorry. This wasn't you, this was me. But you apply this, you say, could I pray this? Could I express this in the same way that Paul has expressed it for the Philippians? I want you to notice that when he says, you've been there in my imprisonment in the defense and confirmation of the gospel he's saying look here it is not just when i was imprisoned but when i was free defending and confirming the gospel and even now though i'm in these bonds in prison in in prison and you see this verse 7 in my imprisonment verse 13, that my imprisonment. Verse 14, by my imprisonment. Verse 17, in my imprisonment. here's Paul, conscious of his imprisonment, but in a sense not bound by it, not defined by it. Otherwise, it would not make sense that he could say, rejoice in the Lord with all. Always, again, I say rejoice, or even to say at the end of chapter four, that it's because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, that he's able to keep on trucking, whether he's abasing or he's abounding. We see there's a fourth thing in Paul's care for the Philippians, and that is that that his care is seen by the heavenly affection he expressed to them. So I want you to understand, don't miss these words when he says, for God is my witness. He uses language like this in his final letter when he writes to his protege, his child in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, look, I'm going to give you a charge now. I'm speaking to you. I'm not playing. This is a sober charge, and God... Heaven itself is witness to this charge. And now he says to the Philippians, of course, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, preach the word in season, out of season. He says, that's what you're to do. But here in this letter, he says, look, and this is stunning. He says, God can testify under oath that the fact that I hold you in my heart is seen in that I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Who do you yearn for? Who do you smile at the thought of their faith, their love, their purpose? I can tell you when we get back to Greenville, we will for you guys. I hope you will for us. (sighs) You've been so dear. We hold you in our heart. And we will yearn and continue to yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus until the day we can see you guys face to face. That's my formal request to be invited back. Do you love in such a way that if you were in prison bonds, if you knew that those who were eaten up with self-interest were preaching the gospel not for the purest of motives, not in a way that reflected the unselfishness of a Timothy or an Epaphras, Or a Phoebe? Would you write someone and say, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a measure of the degree to which our hearts have been transformed by this power of the gospel that our lives are marked with heavenly affection. You don't simply, you don't just say, I love you. When you express that, it's heartfelt. It's meant, and the other party over time is convinced of it. Have you ever thought of the scope of the affection of Christ Jesus? Do you think the affection of Christ Jesus could be adequately expressed? when the son on that night of the agony of his soul would say to his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. May God give us, may this church forever be marked May your reputation go not just throughout Kenya. My prayer is that throughout the EAC and throughout the continent of Africa, that your faith for the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for the saints might be known in an ever-widening circle to his glory. And I challenge you, I want to leave you with that. Well, finally, I want us to see not simply Paul's grateful remembrance for the church at Philippi, not only the joyful prayer that he would fashion on their behalf with their names on his lips, not only the confident expectation he had in them as gospel partners, and not just in them, but in God to complete, to bring to completion, to nail it shut, to drive in the final nail of their sanctification and glorification. And not only did we see Paul's care and the affection he expressed for them, but we see it in this purposeful sola deo gloria prayer, God alone. It's as though Paul is tumbling all over himself, maybe like a picture I saw from Aberdare National, National Park, and there's this beautiful waterfalls, and the water's just cascading over and misting and, You can't even distinguish this. It's just this abounding, unceasing flow of water. Maybe like the rain that we all got last night about 7.30 here when it rained, as we say, cats and dogs. It's abounding. His prayer was that they might be abounding in love. Love in this multiplying abundance. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And for some of you who think, I don't know if I'm a Christian, let me give you a litmus test. Is your life marked by love? Do you love others? And when you find that you aren't loving others, are you quick to say to your heavenly father, oh, help me to love a fraction of the love that you had for the world. For it's John who says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for his sins. And Paul uses here the same adverb, malon, more and more. It's as though you could translate it if you use the adverb twice with the verb twice, something like this and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and may abound more that's the content of my prayer that's the focus of my prayer that's the starting point of my prayer and i think it makes sense then why paul would naturally say in chapter 2 here's how your life ought to be marked in the gospel do nothing from selfish Ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's the spirit of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's the spirit of our Lord Jesus who said of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. Not only is it about abounding in love, but it's about approving what is excellent. It's this love that grows in knowledge and discernment. It's not simply an ishy, squishy, unformed, unprincipled love, but it's a love that's increasingly shaped by God's word. He says it's with knowledge and discernment. For this very purpose, verse 10, that you might approve what is excellent. So he says, I'm praying that you would have a love, an abounding love that's abounding more and more, that's marked by knowledge and discernment for this purpose, that you might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It was was a Puritan that said, Law is love's eyes, and without it, love is blind. But love is law's heart, and without it, law is dead. Do you love? Do you do you love in such a way that it's abounding, that it's 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 with knowledge and discernment? Do you think in ways to seek the good? Of others. And he says, so you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's that phrase again for the day of Christ. So Paul's confidence was that the work that God had first begun in the Philippians would be completed at the day of Christ Jesus. And now his prayer for them, his purposeful God in God's glory prayer is focused on this love, this abounding, discerning, knowledgeable love that is essentially approving, itself, attesting that they might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There is no holiness without the fruit of love in our lives. Christians, from 1 John, if you're born of God, your life is marked by the aroma of love. Paul says the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't that amazing? The first of the aggregate fruit of the indwelling spirit of God is love. That you might consider others more important than yourselves. That you might, having been filled with this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ unless we think that we can have a love in isolation, he speaks of this love yielding the very fragrant fruit of righteousness that has only one source, and that's through Jesus Christ. And then finally, as we think about this purposeful solidea, glory prayer, There's a last element, and that's the all-time goal of truly gospel-rich prayers. It's the glory and praise of God. He says at the end of this prayer, to the glory and praise of God, the very end of Paul's prayer, the very end of his grateful remembrance, the very end of his joyful prayer-making on their behalf, the very end of his confident expectation that God would finish what he began in them, the very end and outcome of this heavenly expression, this heavenly affection that he felt for them was a prayer that so long as God was glorified, he would be satisfied. What do you long for? Could it be said of you that you don't care? that your name is prominent that your reputation is perfectly preserved intact that everything is ready everyone is ready to throw all types of praise and compliments upon you can you say so long as glory and praise are given to our great God and Savior Jesus Christ i am satisfied and content follower of King Jesus. May he help us to have that spirit till he returns to the praise
0: of his name. Thank you so much.